Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And welcome to the last episode of 2021. And let me start by thanking you very much for listening to the podcast, uh, leaving any ratings or uh, reviews wherever appropriate and most importantly sharing it uh, with anyone that you think might uh, get some value from listening. So uh, the the podcast has been growing in numbers. Um, I'm getting some great feedback, which I, I, I obviously greatly appreciate uh, because it's you know it's a one way conversation sometimes. Just putting the the podcast out there, and you hope it resonates with people. So uh, if it has this year and you've enjoyed it, uh, then that's fantastic, and that's really the the reward or payback that I'm looking for is to uh, share the information, hopefully. Uh, so people get some value of it. Uh, I'll be taking a much, much needed break uh, for a few weeks. Um, haven't really decided when the uh, first podcast of 2022 will be, but uh, probably sometime in the second half of, of January. So I hope you and your family have a, um, a very enjoyable and relaxing uh, Christmas period. Uh, and let's hope that uh, no new variants or at least negative COVID news don't, don't interrupt and ruin our Uh, Christmas holidays. Okay, so without further ado, let's get into the final episode for this year then. And what I thought would be good was to would be to look back and see what happened during 2021 in terms of investment returns uh, across various asset classes. And I think it's uh, a good thing to do for a couple of reasons. The first one is, uh, you know, it's wise to always benchmark your returns. You know, understand how have your assets returned compared to the broader market. Uh, and that allows you to assess relative performance. Uh, and secondly, I think it serves as a, a salient reminder of the cost of delay. So, you know, what are the, what are the missed opportunities been? Uh, if you had have invested 12 months ago, where would you be today? Now, of course, I should warn you that um, uh, in isolation, short-term returns are meaningless and, and largely unimportant. Uh, and I say that because uh, really you should be focusing on maximising medium to long-term returns which doesn't necessarily mean maximising returns on a year-by-year basis. Uh, Sometimes we uh, miss out on some short-term returns in the pursuit of maximising longer-term returns, and and that's fine. Really, the question we should be asking ourselves is, what can I invest in today that's going to generate the highest return over the next five to ten years, as long as it's commensurate with my risk profile. That's really what you should be focusing on. Now, of course, when we talk about one-year returns or the returns in 2021, um, sometimes we become tempted to really think about, okay, that's good what's happened over the last 12 months, but who's going to be at the top of the list? Uh, which asset class will be at the top of the list in the next 12 months, so 2022? Um, so it's tempting to ask ourselves that, but really... We really need to be thinking about um, five plus years. So uh, really when I do this analysis or if I did this analysis in 2027 and look back from then to today, uh, who, which asset class is going to be the winner? And I think focusing on those long-term outcomes uh, is likely to produce a much, much, much better outcome. Okay, so let's jump into it then and let's talk about the share market to begin with. Uh, so there's a few tables uh, in this uh, that I'm going to reference in this podcast, and uh, so I don't need to keep repeating myself. Uh, you'll find these tables uh, in the links in the show notes and uh, the blog on the the website. So feel free to 
uh, have a look at that when you've got a chance. But uh, really, share markets was uh, is a year of two halves, really. You know, the first half were really benefited from some really strong growth uh, in stock markets, particularly in value stocks uh, rather than growth stocks. So technology growth stocks didn't do as well uh, as value stocks in that second half. And they produced some really good returns. Um, except that the last uh, six months of the year, and particularly the last three months, have been pretty challenging. And there's been some, I guess, common rhetoric or risks or concerns that have, um, in most markets, driven negative returns, certainly over the last three months. Uh, and there's things like, you know, is inflation actually not transitory and will it uh, persist for longer? Um, interest rates uh, hiking uh or occurring sooner than expected, uh, central banks tapering bond purchases, so quantitative easing, uh, and more recently, obviously, the new uh, variant Omicron uh, and its potential impacts on you know sending countries back into lockdown and uh, border closures and all those sorts of things. Uh, so as I said, I've got a table in the show notes, but look, equity markets, excluding Japan, uh, produce returns of 16 to 30%. Uh, for the year, for the year to end of uh, November 2021, uh, which is a considerable return. Uh, Japan's the outlier there that only produced um, an an 8% return. And really, US, Europe and the UK produced somewhere between 20 and 30%. Australia is only 16% only. (laughs) Compared to those other geographical segments, hasn't done as well. Uh, Three-month, sorry, six-month returns... Um, a positive except for emerging markets uh, in the range of 5 to 9%. Uh, so we can see the last six months has been okay, but not as good as the 12-month period. And the last three months have been either zero to negative two. Uh, so the last three months, we've lost a bit of that early returns. Now, in context, not that big a deal. We should expect share market volatility. Uh, and really the last, uh, or, or sorry, the first six months of the last 12 months, um, were unusually strong. So let's talk about emerging markets. Now, emerging markets are predominantly China, Taiwan, uh, South Korea, and India. That's about 94% of the total emerging market index. So they're the countries we're really talking about. Uh, emerging markets have underperformed over the last, certainly over the last uh, three months, but even the last six months. And so they've had to deal with all the same risks, interest rates, and COVID, et cetera, et cetera, than that what developed markets have had to deal with. Um, but they've had some, uh, I guess, Chinese-specific matters that have included uh, diplomatic and trade uncertainty, uh, Evergrande's default, which uh, actually occurred last week, but it's been uh, talked about, and its impact on the Chinese property industry, uh, the, the Chinese t- uh, tech uh, industry crackdown, um, uh, which is trying to regulate you know, use of tech and um, disclosure and all those sorts of things, and then just broad, I guess, economic growth concerns in China as well. So they've had quite a few headwinds um, uh, during that period of time, and all that has really conspired to make um, emerging markets the most attractive equity segment uh, from a pricing perspective and therefore from a future returns or future probable returns perspective. Um, that's first. Second behind that is UK market. Uh, still out there as a uh, potentially good source of, of future returns. And I've got a, uh, a table in the uh, blog which sets out future expected returns as calculated by a, a US firm called Research Affiliates. 
that uses various uh, evidence-based valuation models. Um, and, and really, the future expected returns is the aggregate of three components, which is income, so dividends, uh, earnings growth, so any uplift in, in earnings, uh, and then any change in valuation multiples. Those three elements uh, all aggregate to determine you know, what the future expected returns look like. And certainly, uh, emerging markets UK and even the Australian market uh, look like the, the three best segments in that, uh, that asset class. Okay, let's talk about bond markets because certainly in Australia, the bond market has had the worst performance uh, since 1994. So bond markets have not performed very well. Uh, and the Osborne Composite Index uh, lost uh, 3.2% for the 12 months to the end of November 2021. Uh, and corporate bonds have performed slightly better, but still they lost about 2% uh, over the same period. Um, uh, global bonds uh, have fared slightly better than that, uh, losing 1.5% over that 12-month period. Uh, and really there's been two months uh, over the last 12 months where we've had some pretty ordinary or, in fact, terrible returns. October and February of 2021, uh, those two months have been some of the worst months on history uh, in the bond market. And essentially, bond valuations have been adversely impacted by the market factoring in the risk of higher interest rates sooner than originally anticipated due to inflationary pressures. Uh, and look, if we look at inflationary pressures and whether inflation's permanent or transitory, um, we could certainly conclude that the risk of higher persistent inflation in the US is much, 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 much higher than what it is in Australia. So if you say, look, global bonds have lost 1.5%, the Osborne index have lost uh, more than double that amount. Uh, the way I sit back and look at that is I would say that the Australian bond market, uh, for a variety of uh, reasons, has oversold or over-corrected um, for the impact of higher interest rates and higher, as a result of higher inflation. Uh, and I think it's, and look, markets can be wrong in the short term. They were wrong in February and the, the bond market eventually recovered. It's taken another hit in October. It's recovered in November, 1%. Uh, and uh, it probably, my gut feeling, will continue to recover. Um, but it's important to highlight that bonds really do play an important role in a portfolio's asset allocation because they are negative, negatively correlated with shares. So that means that if shares rise, bonds tend to fall and the, the reverse is true as well. And so in a time when share markets are trading at close to all-time highs, um, arguably a, a bond exposure is even more important uh, in this market if we think that there's a, a potential chance of a correction or at least some share market volatility in the future. Uh, so some negative returns there, but I think um, part of it's just due to timing. I suspect if I do this analysis again in four to six months, uh, that the numbers will look a lot different, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they were in the positive by that time. Okay, next asset class is global property and infrastructure. So global property investments and infrastructure as are regarded as defensive or sort of safer style investments. Um, because they tend to have long-term contracted revenue. So their future cash flows are more certain, uh, and with more certainty comes lower risk. So global property includes things like real estate assets, assets like shopping centres, industrial property, office, uh, resorts, you know, those sorts of things. And, and infrastructure includes assets such as utilities, 
uh, which call, include water or gas or electric utilities, um, uh, toll roads, uh, pipelines, really any sort of large capital-intensive projects. Uh, and uh, these assets have performed really, really well over the last 12 months, um, but mostly that's because they were hammered in the previous 12-month period. Uh, so um, they experienced really strong declines uh, between February and October 2020. So, of course, we're kind of cherry-picking to some degree November to November or December to November 2021, that last 12-month period, uh, of course, looks unusually good. Um, uh, but these uh, investments, so the global property and infrastructure, are impacted really by three things. The first one is that COVID lockdowns. COVID lockdowns are obviously an adverse uh, uh, event that impacts them. Uh, these investments adversely. Uh, because if we're locking people down, we're reducing travelling and um, um, revenue and numbers and those sorts of things. So that's a negative. But once those risks disappear, then, then it, it um, reduces the risk associated with this, this uh, asset class. The second one is low interest rates. Low interest rates help uh, global property and infrastructure investments because they tend to these are these tend to be very capital intensive um, asset classes and tend to hold debt. Uh, so the lower the interest rates, the higher the cash flow. Uh, and then thirdly, uh, you know, with a lot of government stimulus, fiscal stimulus going out to try and you know recover from COVID lockdowns, a lot of it is going into infrastructure. So that should certainly help. Uh, so I think it's uh, to my mind, it's still an attractive asset class. Uh, it will become less attractive in a in a potentially higher interest rate environment, but maybe too call, too soon to call that uh, that event yet. Two more asset classes to go. Let's talk about direct residential property, and I probably really don't need to talk about it in too much detail, given that um, I talk a lot about the residential property market in this podcast. Uh, but it's been well documented that houses have delivered you know, some significant returns, uh, really between 20 to 30% uh, for the main, and maybe Perth and Darwin are the only two that have um, delivered 15%, so slightly lower than that range. Uh, and uh, unit prices have appreciated as well, but uh, probably at half the rate or even less than half the rate of, of houses. So certainly houses have been the standout from an, uh, um, an investment perspective and a price growth perspective. But also, as I observed uh, a few weeks ago, when you look at long to uh, you know five year returns, uh, five year property price returns, uh, the growth is actually below trend. So certainly this year has been, you know, well above average and certainly at an unsustainable level. Um, but I have two observations. The first one is that uh, if we look at longer term, you know, five year returns, uh, all we were doing is paying a bit, playing a bit of catch up. Uh, because you know the last five years we've had some pretty ordinary periods, uh, and then secondly, um, it appears that the rate of growth uh, has normalised in recent months. So we've seen more stock come onto the market, um, buyer demand uh, sort of dissipate a little bit as well. You know, people are sort of getting back to normal Christmas parties, travelling, those sorts of things, uh, and so it seems to have normalised a little bit. But certainly, property has done incredibly well. Uh, over the past 12 months. And the last asset class I wanted to talk about was direct commercial property uh, because some of our clients invest in direct commercial property uh, as of, as advised by us, of course. Um, and look, as a general rule, we like to avoid retail commercial property. 
I mean, it's been well documented that that retail sector has endured uh, some profit margin pressure, particularly over the last 10 years, uh, and that's going to flow through to rental yields. uh, So that's not a market that I'm particularly interested in. Uh, And whilst industrial property rental yields uh, um, uh, look attractive, you know, they're high, uh, they tend to have a single, industrial properties tend to have a single tenant profile. So we don't feel that's appropriate for our clients as well. And so we think the most appropriate sector typically is that office sector. Now, given COVID lockdowns and and greater adoption of working from home, uh, you would be definitely excused for assuming that the commercial property market would have been under pressure over the last 12 months. However, it's not the case. What we're seeing is that uh, really good quality commercial office buildings are still selling for record prices. So we haven't seen any price reductions Uh, And there's two reasons for that primarily. Firstly, low interest rates. Low interest rates increase asset prices, particularly in that commercial sector because commercial property is sold on a yield. Uh, And secondly, uh, wealthy investors are able to kind of look beyond this short-term rhetoric. They're going to, you know, a wealthy investor is going to go and spend 50, 60, 70 million dollars on a building and take a very long-term view. They're not really that worried about what might happen over the next one or two years. So that commercial property market's uh, still holding up well. Of course, there's going to be some assets that are going to be under pressure. Um, and of course, uh, you know, it matters, the, the building's attributes and location matter the most. But in the main, uh, we're still very optimistic about the future growth in that asset class. Uh, and I plan to do a podcast on commercial property um, next year as well. So look out for that. That's certainly on the, on the list. Uh, uh, I think people would like to learn more about that sector. Okay, so what can you do with this information? Well, I think it's really about asking, did you make any mistakes during 2021? So I guess the mistake could be investing in the wrong asset, uh, making the wrong investment decision, uh, maybe not even selling an asset if you plan to, uh, or even worse, still doing nothing at all. So it's good then to reflect on, you know, what, what mistakes, if any, did you make during 2021? Uh, And what can you do next year so that you don't uh, repeat those same mistakes? And I reckon you'd be generally well served by adopting, you know, what I think is sort of three steps to uh, really making investment decisions. Uh, The first one is only adopt evidence-based methodologies. You know, I think if you're taking a particular action because all the, there's a huge body of evidence that supports that if you did that, that you, that the returns are, or the outcomes are predictable, uh, then I think you go a long way to reducing your risk. Uh, secondly, uh, focus on a time horizon of five to ten years. You know, ask yourself what will matter in five years from now. So, will COVID matter? Probably not. Will interest rates uh, matter? Well, maybe, but they're probably already being factored in. Uh, will demographics matter? Yes, certainly. Will fundamentals matter? Absolutely. So I think you'll find that most of the risks in averted commas that are discussed in the media or the newspapers uh, probably won't matter in five months' time, let alone in five years' time. So really focus on that five-plus-year time horizon. And number three, if the consequences of making a mistake are unacceptable to you, then go and seek independent professional advice. Okay, that's it from me for not only this week but this year. Again, thank you very much for listening in. Uh, have a fantastic Christmas break and I look forward to talking to you again uh, in 2022. Take care. Bye.